Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the GigaCity company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. From the Milton Metz studio in the Radio TV building at Indiana University, welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host WFIU-WTIU News Bureau Chief Sarah Whitmire. Indiana is in the midst of a multi-state outbreak of hepatitis A. The Indiana State Department of Health estimates that Indiana averages 20 cases of hepatitis A per year. But there have been, uh, as of just a little bit ago, we had a new update. There have been 385 cases just since November, resulting in 161 hospitalizations and one death. State and county governments distributed over 50,000 vaccines to slow the spread of liver infection, which typically trans- is typically transmitted through contaminated fecal matter. We'll discuss the hepatitis A outbreak in Indiana on today's program with three guests. We have Penny Cottle, who's the Monroe County Health Administrator. Sean Richards is outbreak supervisor at the Indiana State Department of Health. And joining us by phone is Amelia Johns, the Clark County Public Health Nurse. If you want to uh, join us with your questions and your comments, give us a call at 812-855-081 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. You can also send your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So, Sean, thanks for making the drive here. And, uh, Amelia, thanks for joining us by phone. And, Penny, we're glad to have you in the studio with us. So thanks thanks all for being here. So I'd like for um, for Sean to start and just sort of give us an overview of, of what we're dealing with. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, you did a very nice job uh, updating everyone of the new numbers that came out today. <laughs> and just a reminder that all of the numbers do come out every Friday. We work all week to make sure that the numbers are um, – are good and uh, and everything. So we do update those every Friday. So go to our State Department of Health website to get those every day. So what we do know is that hepatitis A is highly contagious, but also very highly uh, preventable. And so what we're really trying to do is put our arms around this um, so it doesn't expand into to more counties or uh, spread between more states. Mm-hmm. So I was asked, when I was leaving my office to come over here, somebody said, does this have anything to do with the opioid crisis? Is this part of that? And I, I said, I don't think so. But Well, what we do know that one of the high-risk groups are illicit drug use. And when we mean illicit drug use, we don't mean just injectable drugs. We do mean all kinds of, uh, of drugs. Mm-hmm. So um, – and it's really not the blood issue because, as you mentioned, Bob, that this is transmitted person to person through fecal oral um, route. So what we're more concerned about is the, the the sanitary conditions in which people are exposing each other. So um, illicit drug use is a high risk group. We don't have any um, positive correlations right now about it being specifically with opioid drugs. But uh, as we learn more about the opioid opioid drug issues. You know, that might be something that we could study a little bit later. Well, ask uh, Penny and uh, also Amelia about just the local outbreaks. How, how, what's going on in Monroe County, Penny? Well, so far we've been, uh, I think, very lucky and, and been able to uh, work with the state health department in really making plans early on. So back um, this fall when all of this just started uh, coming up, we started talking amongst ourselves, like, how can we kind of get ahead of this? And that's always a little difficult to do, but always something that we're trying to do. And um, we've been able, with the outbreak kind of expanding, to be able to offer vaccine at the jail, at the Shalom Center, um, at the syringe services program at IRA, at Crawford House. And we have plans to revisit some of those specialized clinics. So that's kind of our direct response. 
course, this last um, winter, we made sure that all the retail food establishments had information and knew how to clean and so that if it did impact their business, they knew right away how to take care of things and clean their facility so that there was less of a gap that mm-hmm. might happen. And as well as putting out press release early on just to let people know that this may not have reached us yet. It mm-hmm. will. And, you know, we know that that's going – we expect that that will continue. We hope that we can keep it to a minimum and slow it. And we're encouraging people to get vaccinated and use good hand washing and hygiene practices. Mm-hmm. So, Amelia, how about Clark County? You're down there in the southern, very, very southern border of the state. Yes, um, pretty much the same thing um, we've been doing here. We first had our first case back in December um, the 20th in 2017, and it was uh, found in the jail. And um, we were able to go into the jail and, um, you know, provide them education and uh knowledge about hep a and uh, go in and able to vaccinate um the jail um, and get that under control there um, in a pod that we had uh, several girls that had tested positive um we were able to go in and test those girls and um then provide vaccine to the rest of the jail we've also done outreach um to our treatment centers our detox centers psych facilities um we reached out to our homeless shelters um, we've been able to vaccinate um, with the homeless shelters and the soup kitchen that's here in our county and um, also work with um, the uh, halfway houses um, that these these folks are in. Um, so we've, we've had less cases over the last couple of um, months, and we are averaging about one case uh, to two cases a week now. So we're seeing it starting to slow down. Why are these populations more vulnerable, folks who are in jail or folks who you are using drugs illegally? Can, can you speak to that, Sean? I'm sure. The, so the homeless, the transient, the incarcerated, those with illicit uh, drug use, and um, those folks just seem to not have the um, knowledge or the uh, abilities to be able to keep their hands clean and other things clean because what you're doing is you're picking up the virus that the hepatitis a virus from uh, one another or from um, surfaces and if you don't wash your hands as often as you need to or if you aren't vaccinated um, you have a much higher um, risk to transmit is this one of those things that most most people are vaccinated isn't is it in sort of a bundle that yeah. most people have so uh, Good thing that you brought that up. It is recommended for almost everyone over the age of one. Um, So anyone can actually go out and get the vaccine. And so we would encourage that if you have a, you know, a healthcare provider and you uh, or pharmacy or someone that you would like to use to go ahead and get your vaccine, it is covered under most insurances. Um, But it is on the schedule right now for school attendance uh, for K, um, kindergarten, sixth grade and 12th grade. So eventually we're going to catch everybody up. Um, so it's just going to be a matter of time. Um, so And it, it was strategically placed that way in order to try to encapsulate um, the whole school system. So the more people you have vaccinated, it, the more herd immunity or community immunity that you have. So um, we're making progress every day. And hopefully, um, you know, after our efforts and as um, you said that we are we are nearing uh, 56,000 doses that have been administered this year. And actually, we've had some great partnerships with other healthcare facilities and other um, like the pharmacies and healthcare providers have provided a lot of those 57,000 doses. So to kind of give you a comparison, we usually have um, around 7,000 doses. Mm-hmm. So we have like w- gone way beyond, have really placed a lot of effort and wholehearted commitment to um, getting control of this outbreak. So, so do, we have, do we have to worry about a vaccine shortage? Because this isn't just Indiana. I was reading about Cincinnati's vaccinating everyone in their jails. Right. That was kind of the problem at the very beginning of the um, hepatitis A situation is because um, California and some of those other states had previously had this outbreak. Um, we had to meet certain criteria before we were eligible to purchase additional vaccine in order to get to our states because we had a very, very small allotment um, 
very, very small allotment that the whole state could use until we got to a certain point. And then we could request vaccine uh, from some certain funding through the CDC in order to, to get to our state. Okay, so now it's not a problem. Right. And it actually isn't a, a there isn't really a shortage in the private sector right now. So it, it's kind of hard to keep clear between the public sector vaccine and a private sector vaccine. Um, and there really wasn't that much of an issue with the private sector vaccine. It was the public uh, vaccine because of the fact that it had been used in so many outbreaks um, prior. So how would somebody know or suspect they had hepatitis A? Do you want to okay. Sure. Uh, certainly um, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, we think about that. Um, yellowing of the skin or the eyes are kind of those telltale things that we think about, but also fatigue. And I may be forgetting some other things you can, uh, you, Amelia, you can uh, type in. Um, but certainly if you are not feeling well, if you have vomiting or diarrhea, we don't want people to be uh, preparing food, for example, for their families, um, you know, or if they work in retail food establishments, the, those are reasons to not go to work, regardless of what the cause might be. Um, but also, you don't want to be cooking for your family with the, those things because it increases your risk that you might pass an infection mm-hmm. or whatever that germ might be, whether we're talking about hepatitis A or, or something else. Mm-hmm. You mentioned food service workers Mm -hmm. earlier about hanging flyers in restaurants, and it does seem like we've seen quite a few with food service workers. Um, So I guess can why why is it hitting food service workers or is that a coincidence or well typically that's kind of where we we think about it because there is that connection with food so if again and there are two things that I guess I want to say about that one is that if I work in food service and I have hepatitis A and I don't wash my hands properly, okay, and then I'm uh, p- providing food and cooking that, maybe I'm touching raw food or something. If there's a break in the procedures that should keep us safe, and hopefully everybody's following all the rules and so it's not an issue, right? But sometimes things break down and, and that happens. But also, patrons can come in. So someone could come into a facility, and I always think that this is important to say, and they may be the person who brings it into a facility, but also food can be contaminated. Um, so, And we see more of that kind of in other countries, but that's a possibility as well. Did, Sean, you had something you wanted to add. Right. So Penny is right that those are ways that you can get hepatitis A, but what we really need to focus on in this specific situation is that that is not what we are seeing in this current outbreak. We have not had any documented cases of anyone being infected with hepatitis A through a food worker. So what? it's a very, very important concept that's very hard for people to understand because traditionally that's not how that's not how it the epidemiology was working in this current outbreak what is the issue is that a lot of the the food workers we have had several restaurants that have had people that have had hepatitis A but we also think it's part of our um, communication and our marketing early on with the uh, food establishments. We wrote template letters. We notified them in several different ways. We actually had uh, people that are reporting that usually did, didn't report. They will call and say, hey, I've got somebody that looks like they've got yellow eyes or something like that. What should I do? So then we are able to direct them to get where they need to go in order to get, um, to get them uh, diagnosed correctly and reported correctly. But I want to. I also want to make a bridge that a lot of times with the food workers, you have a lot of those people that are homeless, transient, just getting out of jail. Um, they are going to these places in order to be, in order to get their employment and and get back on their life again. So those sometimes you have to start. There, not saying that all you know that food service worker you know that that it's that way with everyone, but it's just a uh, way in which it can be introduced into the system. But that is not what we're seeing with this outbreak at all. It is not. We do not have one documented case of hepatitis A being transmitted 
to a patron of a restaurant, and that's because we've developed protocols to deal with it and analyze it before we make the uh, recommendation for prophylaxis or, or not. I'm really glad that you're talking about that because I think uh, Sarah and I probably both face this somewhat in the media is that you know now with social media, people will be posting like, oh, hepatitis A has been found at so-and-so. And uh, you know we, we've actually done some reporting on it and have – you just have to be really, really careful mm-hmm. because it can really hurt a restaurant right. if it's connected. But as you said, it hasn't been connected to any restaurants. And it's right? hard for people to change their behavior or what they have learned in the past. Mm-hmm. And trying to get them to understand epidemiology, it's a big word. It's a big kind of concept for people to understand. And But it, it's the science, and the science can talk. And if you listen to it, you can make very, very good decisions. And if you would like, I can kind of run you through what we do from the state's perspective with the relationship with our county health departments because another thing that a lot of people don't know is that our county health departments are actually the health authority for everything that goes on in their county. So the state is are the the counties are autonomous from the state. They, we do consult with them. We do provide guidance if they request it. And then we do look out and say, hey, you know, we're seeing something unusual. Are you seeing something unusual? And we are communicating back and forth this way through some electronic methods and through phone and whatever. But when it comes down to it, it is the county that is responsible for what goes on in their county. But we do work in tandem, hand in hand with them, provide them with as much guidance. And then when we are unclear, then we go to CDC and say, hey, CDC, I mean, it's probably a daily occurrence that we're talking with at least one or two health departments, if not more. And then at least two or three times a week, we're talking to CDC about a specific, very hard, you know, very hard questions that we we can't answer. So um, if you don't mind. Well, could you talk a little bit, maybe direct a little bit about Clark County and and maybe Amelia can talk about how her interaction goes as well? Okay, sure. So Amelia, did you want to kind of go over our original um, notification and how you found out or and how you notified us and uh, some of the actions that we took at the the very uh, first um, so we were first contacted by uh, Clark County um, Hospital that there was a positive Hep A, and they were in the jail um, at Clark County Jail. This um, individual was pretty sick and um, jaundice, and they had um, released her to the emergency room, and then um, she went out from there to home. Um, so we were able to get to her pretty quickly and, you know, um, educate her about Hep A um, and then, you know, notify the jail um, that day as soon as I got the lab and let the jail know that we had a confirmed case that, you know, we're right across the river from Louisville, Kentucky that's in an outbreak and that they get inmates from Louisville Metro jail there and um, so we were able to go in and talk with the, the nurse or and speak with them and make sure that, you know, in this pod where this girl was infected, to go in and make sure that, you know, all the other girls, if there was any other girls with symptoms, and um, they had done that, and then there was a couple of other girls that were um, symptomatic that had um, also developed, you know, hepatitis A. So um, we, from there, were able to go in and... um, work with doing active surveillance and educating and um, went into the pod and talked to the girls and kind of seen what kind of conditions they had in there. Um, We were able to make sure that they were provided bleach water um, to disinfect the cell and also provided um, clean towels and wash rags daily that wasn't happening um, like it should have been. And then also providing soap. These these um, individuals um, would have to purchase soap. So we found out that if they didn't have money, then sometimes they were borrowing soap from other girls. So we were able to um, help, you know, the jail explain the process of Hep A and how it is spread and, um, you know, go in and work with getting those girls that were infectious out of that pod and quarantine that pod and go from there. And we also had, you know, once we kind of got that, Started, then we also started seeing he- positive Hep A cases 
um, in the hospital from um, a, a homeless gentleman, and then they had come from Louisville. So we were able to, you know, work with the State Department. You know, Nicole was really good as far as me calling her. She was able to guide me in direction of what, you know, resistance we had a little bit from the jail. They were able to, you know, provide me um, assistance with that and, and how we need to, you know, get on top of everything. So we reported that, and we do a case investigation. So we, we were able to go to this girl's house, and, you know, all of the individuals with HEP A, we have a series of questions we have to ask. So we ask, you know, where they maybe come in contact with this, you know, who they've been around, and then we can vaccinate, um, you know, those people that are close contacts. So we've been able to go and vaccinate in the jail. We've been able to go and vaccinate in homeless camps. I've worked with Exit Zero. Um, we had a couple of people that were positive in a homeless camp, and we were able to go out to the homeless camp and provide vaccine to those homeless individuals that most likely they're not going to come to the health department to get it. They are more receptive to get the vaccine if we go to them. A lot of them do have underlying um, mental health issues to where they, you know, are just a little guarded um, about health and, the, you know, workers approaching them about, you know, their um, medical issues. So um, we've uh, kind of, you know, been able to work with Exit Zero as far as getting out and um, vaccinating and feel like, you know, we've really been on top of things from the beginning. Um, they are, most of the time are receptive of, of answering my questions and, and giving me names and being honest if would they use drugs and if they share drugs and that type of thing. Um, so we've been able to stay on top of it as far as that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, Sean, back back to you and you know, your interactions with the counties and, and you know, the direction you, were, mm -hmm. you wanted to go. Okay. So... Um, so I, I would like to hop back a little yeah, bit to sure. the food handling because I think that's a very important piece yeah. um, working with the counties is if if we have a food handler that's suspected of hepatitis A, then we ask the question, were they positive for this blood test? It's called an IgM um, anti-HAV. If, if the answer is no, then we just stop altogether. If the answer is yes, then we ask if the person could, um, if the hepatitis A vaccine could be administered within two weeks of the last exposure, sometimes we don't get reports until much later than two weeks. So then it's no point of offering that vaccine or that uh, that prophylaxis um, because it would not provide any protection from that. So if there wasn't a, a post-exposure prophylaxis, then, then we just stop if it wasn't eligible. Then if, but if the answer is yes, if we do get the information fast enough, then we have to ask, did the food handler have barehanded contact with the high-risk items like uncooked foods or handling of cooked foods? If the answer is no, then that's a very, very low risk and we wouldn't we we do it on case-by-case -case basis, but most of the time we wouldn't provide post-exposure prophylaxis. But if the answer is yes, then we ask, did they have diarrhea or uh, poor hand hygiene at work? And if the answer is yes, then we would definitely um, recommend that the person get hepatitis A vaccine for all of the for everyone that works at the restaurant as well as the patrons. So that's how sometimes you see that we put out in a press release, like, um, you know, especially if it's on a, a major highway against different states or that it might be more difficult for a county to be able to put out their own press release. So that's where you'll see us maybe step up, step it up a little bit more, um, trying to respect the boundaries and trying to make um, make sure as many people are protected without going you know, um, on extreme cases, because we need to be very careful that we're using this vaccine that we have uh, for people that actually need it to 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 protect themselves. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if that helps yeah. or not. So. That yeah. helps a lot. Good. All right. We're going to have to take a short break. You're listening to Noon, Noon Edition, and uh, we're talking about hepatitis A. There's been an outbreak in Indiana and other states in the Midwest. We'll be right back.
from the Milton Metz studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live. And you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines. Plus, the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Sarah Whitmire from WFIU and WTIU. And our three guests today, as we talk about hepatitis A, Penny Cottle, the Monroe County Health Administrator, Administrator, Amelia Johns, the Clark County Public Health Nurse, and Sean Richards, Outbreak Supervisor at the Indiana State Department of Health. If you have questions or comments, you want to get in on this conversation, give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also find us uh, news at indianapublicmedia.org or on Twitter at Noon Edition. Penny with the Monroe County Health Department. I think you might be able to answer this question we got because it relates to needle exchanges as well, and since Monroe County has one. How can needle exchange programs work to address the hepatitis A outbreak given that induction drug users are at high risk due to hygiene issues? Needle exchanges are low barrier access points for injection drug users. What kind of services should they provide? And how can local health departments better partner with them? So I think that's about three, but (laughs) we'll try to answer that. So I mentioned earlier that we had been doing some special clinics to try to reach some of the high-risk populations. So at the jail, Shalom, um, Crawford House, um, and at our syringe services program. So at IRA's office. And we're going back to some of those places again and uh, going with the syringe services program. So Indiana Recovery Alliance runs our program for us. And um, so just trying to go with them to help kind of reduce the barrier that people might feel for coming in. But I also think about um, harm reduction. And when we talk about harm reduction, it can mean a lot of different things. And when you're talking about um, drug use or the syringe program in and of itself, there are certain things. But harm reduction includes washing your hands so that you don't spread infections. It's how do I um, maintain my life or how how can I get uh, sanitary conditions? If I'm homeless and I don't have a restroom, I don't have facilities, what can I do that might cut down on my risk? And all of those things are part of harm reduction. So I certainly think that every you know county, it, and there are some counties that may not have syringe service programs, but they may be doing some harm reduction education. Uh, certainly you want to be partnering with those groups because they're your connection to the people that are being very affected by this right now and can help us reach them to provide vaccine. So that's an, I just want to make sure I answer his question fully, but that's an ongoing partnership that you have with IRA and and helping them with the vaccine. Yes, we have, uh, in terms of the syringe services program, we have an agreement with them to operate our program. And then they are working together. In fact, we just have another um, clinic set up to go with, with them at the end of this month. Okay. Yes, so that is ongoing. When when we talk about drug use a lot, we talk about hep C. So um, maybe, Sean, you can just talk about the different – it seems like there are lots of different kinds of hepatitis. Right. Can you talk about what the different ones are? And Yeah, sure. I can do that. Um, so hepatitis A, hepatitis B, hepatitis C are all inflammation of the liver, but all of the A, the, a, the B, and the C are different viruses. So they're completely different. They're transmitted completely different, and a lot of times people will try to throw them into the same category – 
it's basically they're, they're in the same category because they cause similar things to the liver, not how the actual virus is transmitted. So your hepatitis B has different um, is different than hepatitis C. And hepatitis A is the only one you get from fecal oral. So I kind of remember it as hepatitis A is for what you ate. Okay. okay. Hepatitis B for B for blood. And C is a is a is a different animal over there. So, <laughs> uh, is one more serious than another? A, B, or C? Well, I guess it would how depend. Do you, how do they I, present, and, and how are they? How, how do they progress? Well, A doesn't become chronic. Right. Um, okay. So most people get A, and you, and you'll get over it. And typically, we don't see, uh, you know, a lot of death, but certainly as expressed in this, we can. So they can all be serious. I think that was our pause in right. answering that, that question. Um, certainly hepatitis B and C, people can become, you know, chronic. And, but we want people to be vaccinated, you know. So hepatitis A, you can be vaccinated for. Hepatitis B, you can be vaccinated for. So we would encourage people to get those vaccinations because prevention is, is the key. Mm-hmm. Right. And all there right. is no vaccine for C. Okay. We have a phone call, so let's go to uh, Sarah, who's on the phone. Sarah's in Lawrence County. Uh, Hi, I'm Sarah, and I live in Lawrence County, and I was wondering if there are plans on the county level to distribute uh, the Hep A uh, vaccine for the personnel who work in the schools of Lawrence County. Like we discussed earlier, that decision comes from the county, and if they have the uh, funding to be able to do so for those that do not meet the high-risk category, they do have some um, public vaccine, and I'm not um, sure if they have any private vaccine to distribute to the other folks, but um, what I would recommend is that you contact Lawrence County Health Department as they are the best reference for uh, what they have available and who they can vaccinate. We can find out about Monroe and Clark County, though. <laughs> well, certainly uh, we encourage people to, against if they have health insurance mm-hmm. um, and they have a provider, then I would talk to them about getting vaccinated. But people can contact our public health clinic. So another thing for Monroe County is the health department has a unique, and we have had since we started, um, a unique relationship and partnership with IU Health. So we contract with them for public health nursing. So on Miller Drive, the public health clinic, uh, people can call there and uh, schedule an appointment for vaccine. And there is some private doses. So if they have uh, insurance, they can get it through there and it can be billed. Or um, if they meet the eligibility for um, public vaccine, then they can get that. So the number to call would be 353-3244, or um, they have a walk-in clinic on Wednesday mornings. So that's how they could get vaccinated um, locally. Okay, thank you. All right, thank you. Amelia, do you have a strategy in uh, Clark County for dealing with with, uh, school workers? Um, yeah, so they're not really considered high risk um, per, you know, our guidelines. Um, but we do recommend um, that the food workers, uh, handlers, to get vaccinated. Um, and uh, if they have insurance, they can go here. They can come here to the health department, and we can give them the vaccine um, and bill their insurance. Or they could go to their uh, pharmacy or their physician and get the vaccine. All right. We were talking a little bit about folks living in close quarters when we were talking about jails earlier. So with with school here at IU getting ready to start and I think, you know, a lot of the schools across the state getting ready to start, is that something to worry about with a lot of students living in close quarters? Most of the kids are vaccinated. Uh, we found out in our county here in Clark, um, just talking to the school nurses, a majority of those those kiddos have had the hep a vaccine so um we've not really focused on that um as part of you know like our reach out to vaccinate all of the staff at the school okay i want to ask you about it too sean because i know iu in particular in purdue lots of international students are the rules the same right so what we 
what we do when we do surveillance and investigations is we then compile all the aggregate data to try to look and find strategies in which um, are affecting certain people and certain demographics and so we can uh, do the very best um, at, at trying to get around it. But what we've noticed is the age range is from like 13 to 76, but with the the most of them, we haven't um, between the ages of like 27 and 36. So it's really not been in that age group. And we think a lot of that has to do with the increased vaccination rates of those age groups. So um, public health is working. And it's it's truly incredible and exciting to actually see when an initiative goes through that, um, you know, that you see the benefits of that. And then you have this other group, then you try to focus on that group as well. All right. If you want to join us on the program, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area. Uh, news at indianapublicmedia.org is a website. You can uh, or you can you can send us uh, a question there and also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So with hepatitis A, we've got the opi- opioid addiction. I mean, the the. The importance of public health, it seems like, is just growing year after year after year. Um, is what, I guess I want to ask about the state legislature and funding for public health. And I, I don't want to get too political about this, but are there are there areas where we need to shore up? Um, you know, the different health departments, what you're doing at the state. Are, are there places where there are gaps that you think we really need to do better? Well, certainly Indiana comes in um, at the low end in terms of public health dollars spent. And when we look at health departments and how they're staffed, um, for a long time, you know, we have probably a third or a half, depending on kind of how you want to slice that pie of the staff we ought to have for this population. So certainly, uh, you know, there are going to be gaps. Um, I think that people in this community and I think across the state get a whole lot of public health work and effort from their local health departments and their state health department for the money that they're putting towards that. And when I say that, then I think about, well, what if we were really all funded and staffed the the way nationally they say we ought to be? How much more uh, capacity and effort could we put into serving our community and our populations. Mm -hmm. So people get great work. And when these things come up, we shift around and we do the work that needs to be done. And uh, for example, if, if we have, you know, a big outbreak, we have a lot of people who need to be interviewed, we're going to pull staff from other programs. So that might mean we're not doing inspections over here or that, because that staff has to now help with this. And that's the challenge when you don't have the full staff that that you might like to have, but it's also how we work together. And, uh, you know, local health departments couldn't do it alone, and we feel like we have very good relationship with the state health department and are very glad that they're there and that we can work together. Mm-hmm. Terrific answer, Penny, and I'm sorry if I put you all on the spot. I just – I was trying to get at the – just – sort of what you all do and the overall importance, this layer of, you know, public health and how it seems to be, it seems to be growing in terms of importance. That was sort of what I was going at. That's, I, I would like to, like, emphasize that Indiana, we've spent over a million dollars on this response already. Mm-hmm. And that I, that our state and our counties are very hold. Uh, wholeheartedly committed to this and that, um, you know, we're trying to be the best at getting better and things aren't perfect, but we are trying our very best working with what we can. And we have actually had a lot of support from our upper leadership and and from our state um, when we request um, certain things. Now, we need to provide rationale. We need to um, explain what we are going to do and what we need to do, but we have actually had very good support and we continue, we'll keep going, going to bat for everyone mm-hmm. and um, just trying to work together. And the counties have just been amazing. Uh, they're doing incredible, uh, incredible things. Yeah, and, and Amelia, Amelia's in uh, Clark County. She's joining us by phone. So 
you've had 71 cases, I think you said, right? Yes. And, I mean, Monroe, Penny was telling us that Monroe's had five. I mean, it's five is bad, but 71, that's a huge number of cases. So how have you had to sort of change the way you do business in Clark County to address this issue? Um, well, I don't know if we've really changed business, but we um, definitely, um, you know, have upped our vaccination. I mean, we've done over 3,000 vaccines here at the county level, and um, we're looking at, you know, almost 8,000 people that have been vaccinated through their doctor's offices and pharmacies here in our county. So, um, you know, we've definitely stepped up as far as, you know, vaccinating. We've also, you know, opened up to where we're vaccinating adults here at our at our health department where we were just focused on children. So we can do adult vaccines here now. Um, if people want to come in, they have insurance, we can do that. So that's one part that we've, we've definitely stepped up in, on doing. So folks who are older who haven't necessarily gotten this vaccine, even if they're not part of the at-risk population, should they get the vaccine? We would recommend that everyone that would like to be protected against hepatitis A, please go get a vaccine. Um, Yeah, you're more than welcome to do it. It's not going to hurt you. It's a very good vaccine. And it's actually a two-dose series, but you have an incredible amount of protection after just one dose. Um, You do need the second dose. If you're getting pure hepatitis A vaccine and not Twinrix, um, you get one dose, and then six months later, you get the second dose. Um, and I took it. Uh, I talked. I took the opportunity when I was doing my biometric screen for my my work exam. Is like, okay, I'll just go ahead and get my hepatitis A vaccine, and so we'll just go ahead and get it taken care of. Then I don't have to worry about it. And then six months later, I'll get my second one. Mm-hmm. I'm interested when Amelia was talking about Clark County and 71 cases there, and Penny five here. It seems like it's moving north. Is that fair? It's actually what we're seeing is um, uh, geographically where there's current outbreaks, the other outbreaks that are getting bigger, they're spilling into Indiana. So we were sausage, you know, we were kind of like sandwiched between <laughs> okay. Michigan and Kentucky, who have been incredible partners. We have learned and so much from them as well. We talk with them every week or every at least every two weeks. Um, and learn what is working for Michigan and learn what was working for Kentucky and have had incredible open, communica- honest communications as to what's going on. Um, current Now we're having some um, bigger outbreaks over in Ohio that are on our borders as well that are spilling in over to um, Indiana's side. So what we're seeing are these little pockets of where the bigger, um, bigger metropolitan kind of areas are spilling into to Indiana. When Amelia's talking about how the numbers have kind of stabilized there, they're getting maybe one a week or or something. Um, What have we learned from that and getting that under control that now we can apply to places like Monroe County so that the numbers, you know, don't reach 71? Right. So now we have a lot of information that uh, that we can share with other counties that are just starting. Um, We can be more – we can be a little more – not aggressive, but we can just say, hey, look, this is what happened in Clark County, and this is what happened in Harrison County. This is what happened in Floyd or Lawrence County. We want to help you not get to this, you know, to get more cases than what you possibly can't, you know, uh, get more cases. And so we're a lot more um, engaged with them, and they're a lot more receptive because they see the outcome of what happens. Um, And the, the the public health community is very networked, and so we a lot of times will put counties in contact with each other and give them a direct connection. And um, maybe Amelia could even talk about that. Um, Amelia, like, how many people have we referred down to you to talk about your situation uh, to try to help them along the way? Several. Been, <laughs> I've had several calls um, throughout the count throughout the state. Um, with people, you know, just wanting to know what we did. And, you know, my main thing I can just stress to any county um, health department is to just build relationships and partnership with your community and, and you know, um, build relationships with your homeless community, build relationships with your jail, um, and, you know, educate uh, people um, at, at the needle exchange. When they come in, we do that. So, you know, just partnership with and, and then educate the people, go out and, um, you know, go to go to libraries, go to where these uh, 
people are and, you know, educate them about um, Hep A and how it's spread and how it, you know, you can disinfect and bleach water can kill it and, um, you know, clean your home. I mean, some people, we've had house contacts where, you know, mom was taking care of the daughter that was sick or whatnot. So, you know, you can spread it in your house. So disinfect bleach, you know, clean. So we try to educate um, the individuals that we reach out to. Um, and, you know, I've been lucky. I've been able to reach every case, but maybe one out of those 70-some people that I've talked to and um, just meet with them, talk to them, and, and educate them um, on the spread and how to stop it and then get their close contacts to me so I can vaccinate them. And, um, you know, they, these people share things. You know, they can get their your, their friends that they share drugs with or their homeless friends that they're around or live with in camps to us, then we can vaccinate them and stop that spread right there in that camp or right there in that house to where it's not spread to, you know, the neighbor or the next person that they come in contact with. Uh, if you want to join us, we've still got about five minutes to go. If you have a question, a burning question that you want to ask, we'll make sure that you have have an opportunity, 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. But I think we've got uh, plenty we can talk about to, to fill this. I think it was really interesting to hear, uh, and I think Amelia said it a couple of times, that you have to meet these people meet people where they are, that you're not going to get a lot of people walking in saying, hey, what am I going to do about this? Can you talk about, both of you talk about the importance of, of that uh, concept? Yeah. Well, and it, that is true for a variety of things. You know, we have our tobacco cessation classes and we have, um, you know, our family planning clinic. We have all those, diff- you know, all these different services that Yes, you've got harm reduction. You've got to meet people where they are. You've got to build a rapport with them. And it also goes to the the public health system, which oftentimes when people think about public health, it's like, well, the health department ought to do this. But there is a larger system of public health, and it includes you all today airing this program, right? You're part of that. You're helping get that message and the information out to people. Mm -hmm. And so certainly meeting people where they are, regardless of what the situation is, whether we're talking about hepatitis, whether we're talking about um, fertility awareness, whether we're talking about cancer or you know, tobacco cessation or any of the other many things that we deal with with public health. Mm-hmm. I I was curious when we were, and maybe this moaning, but just talking about some of the symptoms, it seems like so many things like the flu or food poisoning. How do you, how do you, it would never come to my mind to think hepatitis A. So how do you d- differentiate that and you think this is something different? Yeah, so you're usually sick for quite a while. And um, so if you start having those symptoms and you think you might have hepatitis A, to, to go to your physician's office and, and ask for, you know, the, the testing, um, because you would need, in order to be counted as a case, you do need to have the um, IgM positive and elevated. You know, there's lots of other things that you have to go through to be able to be determined a case. So, um, you know, if if you have a day or two that you're nauseous or vomiting, probably not hepatitis A. You're sick for a long time, like weeks, hepatitis. like months. Months. Like you can be sick for two months, six months for some people. So, if but what's important is that you're not eating or you're not um, you're not serving food or or anything with these kinds of symptoms. So, I mean, we have the retail food code where if you are vomiting, diarrhea, acute gastroenteritis type of symptoms, you shouldn't be working with food. Now, that's not to say you can't answer phones or you can't do something else. Um, In certain circumstances, you'd have to go back to the rule to find out what all of those um, are. But, um, you know, you shouldn't be serving food if you have some kind of gastrointestinal illness. Okay. In our last couple of minutes, how about if each of you would give us kind of a best practice or a tip for how we can protect ourselves and others? Well, I'll start because I'll probably steal it from everybody else. (laughs) It's going to be vaccination. That's our best preventative measure. And then good hygiene and and hand-washing practices in terms of most things that we're talking about, really. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
I would I would agree with uh, Penny, um, but I would like to say that people could help us um, if you are someone who deals with the homeless, if are homeless, transient, incarcerated, illicit drug user kind of groups. Please reach out to your county health departments. We're looking to try to identify these different groups of folks, and if you can self-identify to help the counties be able to get that vaccine exactly to where it needs to be, that would be a tremendous help um, and help not just yourselves and your families, but your communities, your state, and your nation. So it's, it, I would like yes. to request that. Okay. All right. Amelia? Um, I think it would be nice to see these uh, facilities that are taking uh, in individuals for drug treatment and detox. Um, and the jails, which we go into the jail at a county level and vaccinate three days a week still. And we get a lot of those individuals, they are vaccinated, and a lot of them are cooperative to be vaccinated. Um, but if we could see treatment centers and um, psych facilities and hospitals in the emergency rooms when they know someone's coming in that has a homeless background or has a drug history, vaccinate those uh, high-risk people. And we just can't do it all at a county level. I mean, it takes... Um, the whole county to come together and, 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 and educate. I mean, we have to educate um, the community about the disease, about the virus, and about how it is spread in, in order to stop it. So that's kind of what we try to focus with here at, at the county level in Clark County. All right. Thank you very much, Amelia. Amelia Johns, a Clark County public health nurse. Penny Cottle's yep. been with us today, Monroe County Health Administrator, and Sean Richards, Outbreak Supervisor at the Indiana State Department of Health. For producer Patrick McGurr, engineer Mike Pashkash, and Sarah Whitmire, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and The Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu. And Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.